my feeling is as a profession, we almost never hear our focus is increasing win rates and individual sales performance, as opposed to streamlining our process, find out how we can process more activity, increase our velocity through the pipeline. Some organizations, they feel the biggest army wins. And then there are companies like ours where we're a smaller shop. And so we have to have the team with the best players win. Because there is that army approach of process. And listen, we got 216 reps. If they're not all marching in unison, it's going to be sheer chaos. And so this scale of the whole thing becomes unmanageable without focusing in on that process. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Jesse Schechinger. He's the Chief Revenue Officer at Encore Sales Engagement Platform and the self-described laziest salesperson in America, which, as you'll hear, is not true. And Jesse's joining me today on Sales Enablement, Episode 783, to talk about individual sales performance. We're going to dig into how sellers should think about what will happen in the next two years of their careers and the areas they need to work on improving in order to compete in the next normal. We'll dive into some new ideas about how to make sales training actually work for sellers, and we're also going to explore new ways to measure actual, true sales rep productivity. All this and much, much more. But before we get to Jesse, I want to let you know that the whole team of people who work to produce this podcast are incredibly grateful for all of you who support us by listening to the show, telling your friends, sharing it on social media, and most importantly, subscribing to the show and giving us your feedback in the form of a rating and review. And if you haven't already connected with me on LinkedIn, please do. LinkedIn, normal stuff, slash real Andy Paul. All right, let's jump into it with Jesse. Jesse, welcome to the show. Oh, Andy, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. So where are you joining us from? Salt Lake City, Utah. Salt Silicon Lake Slopes. City. Silicon yes. Slopes. Are you actually in Salt Lake itself? Are you in a, one of the burbs? Yeah, so we're a little bit south. Um, kind of that Silicon Slope area is what they call it. And so down here is you know, Adobe and mm-hmm. Podium and Qualtrics and all those kind of. We throw a little software community down here in southern Utah. They're not so small anymore. It's not really southern Utah anyway, is it? Well, southern south southern Salt Lake. Southern Salt Lake. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say. There's it's a not whole like, Moab. It's not, like, not like you're in St. George or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, you're not seeing the arches in Moab. You're not in Cedar City. <laughs> no. no. I've driven through that country several times. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's, it's Salt Lake is gorgeous, though. I mean, not when you're having to confine yourself to your house, but um, as most of us are doing these days. So what's going on in Utah? I mean, I'm in New York City. We've been shut up for two weeks now. How about you guys? Yeah, so we are um, we are not as bad um, as certainly things are happening in New York. Things have gone a little uh, um, not as intense here. I mean, obviously, nobody's going to the gym. Nobody's going to restaurants. All that kind of stuff is... School's closed? Um, done. Schools are closed. Good, I good. mean, you want to talk you want to talk about like probably my wife's worst day ever was I have two daughters and they canceled school for two weeks. And then an email went out that said it was going to be over until May 1st and literally just like silent walked to our room. (laughs) (laughs) I did not sign up for this. Um, And and it's like, we're all just kind of joking. And my, my boss, uh, he, uh, the owner of our company, he, he has four kids in middle school and high school. So he's got like his wife deals with like 30 emails a day from teachers. Oh, and sure. so that thing, 
ever a good time for teachers to ask for a raise. I think it's now. Everybody's really seen that value. Um, all the mothers yeah. and parents out there. Yeah, yeah, I know. Parents are sort of my uh, my wife's oldest daughter is a psychiatrist, a pediatric psychiatrist, and and she's doing remote sessions now because they're not doing them in person. And basically, parents are treating it like babysitting sessions. You know, they set the kid in front of the computer and say, "Okay, see you later." It's like, uh, no, you got to stay here so the kid stays. Here. <laughs> the kids all get up and walk away. So, all right. Well, it's it's a pleasure yeah, to meet you. We hadn't had a chance to meet before. Um, so you're self-described as the laziest salesperson in America. So what makes you so lazy? Uh, I mean, I think that speaks for itself. The part <laughs> of sales that really drew me to the job was much more of the taking people out to dinner, steaks, maybe go to a ball game, <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. I was like, you know, I feel like I can really excel at that. I can excel at eating expensive price meals with customers. Um, and then all, all stuff we don't do anymore. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the other part of it is, you know, is incredibly valuable and it's certainly one of those things where you have to just do a certain amount of the work because as everybody in sales knows, the minute, um, you don't keep doing outreach and stuff like that, uh, it dries up. You got no one to call on. And so there's some very important blocking and tackling things you do. And um, as annoying as that part of the job was, um, because I don't, you know, there, I think there are people out there that love the challenge and love the cold call. Um, I've always enjoyed once, you know, you can actually get somebody to engage and mm-hmm. you're taking that part in. Um, you know, I even in high school, I didn't really like asking girls to dances. And so that was a nerve wracking situation in itself. And so the front part of the sales cycle, not attractive. You're taking the accounts and moving it in very much so really like yeah. that side of it yeah i was always into customer retention even in high schools so i had a girlfriend <laughs> from like ninth grade through high school and i was like you know for that very reason is is once you found a good customer hang on to them oh because finding a new one's terrifying yeah yeah um, exactly <laughs> it took it took uh, all my nerve plus some to ask her out the first time Ninth grade at an ice skating party. I remember it painfully well. We we all do that. In that one, she was perfect. I'm yeah. sure she remains to be so today. Um, but you know, I mean, that's the thing. Is like so throughout my career, I've literally, I mean, an argument can be made. I've worked so hard at trying to not do that stuff. I was better off just doing it. Um, my mother would certainly say that. But the uh, really trying to just automate and get as much of the front of the pipeline done with the least amount of effort possible. Um, and that's uh, kind of my mantra. And <laughs> Well, you're, you're, again, you're very much like me. As I, when I started my first job in sales years and years and years ago, um, is, yeah, it was a field sales job. I had to go out and make you know, 30, 40 cold calls a day. And I thought, geez, you know, it has to be a better way than this because we had a certain goal we had to hit before they'd get us trained on the next level product for us to sell so we're selling these uh desktop adding machines this is i said decades ago oh so this was uh what 2003 2004 yeah (laughs) thank you and um so no that's great i'm glad you think i'm so young um and yeah, I just so we had to sell five thousand dollars worth of these these uh, you know desktop batting machines when they were already obsolete, and so all my 
peers are out, uh, you know, selling. They cost about 300 bucks a piece. We had to sell $5,000 worth. So they had done the math and said, okay, we need to sell, you know, 25 of these. And I thought, well, that seems stupid. We got one model that sells for 2,500 bucks. If I just sell two of those, but they were programmable calculators. I had, so I went home one weekend and, and they were programmed in hex. So I had to taught myself how to program in hexadecimal, found two customers. I designed a payroll system for one and a consumable system for the other. And I was done. I mean, it's like, I was that motivated because I didn't like it at that point. <laughs> well, and there's there's such a certain breed of human that's very much like that. I mean, when I went to college, um, graduate school was just definitely not in the dreams for me. No, um, me neither. La- laziness and graduate school don't go hand in hand. But the other part was really like, you know, you get that syllabus and it's like, all right, what's the least amount of stuff I'm going to have to do this quarter? to seize, get degrees, to get past this puppy. Um, and you kind of back into quotas the same way. And you kind of back into your bank account the same way. It's like you get these sales goals. And, you know, much like you, a little bit different is my first sales job was telesales. And so mm-hmm. we bang out like 300 calls a week and, you know, just kind of like chug and chug and chug and chug and chug it. And you had to get like this certain amount of, and so for us, it was a medical record retrieval service. And right. we worked for lawyers and people gathering documents for their cases, et cetera. But we were selling this service, um, which was pretty fun. But we had an amount of records that had to be retrieved like per month for our quota. And again, you kind of back into it. It's like, okay, well. So it's a usage-based, usage-based quota. Exactly. Which is where you're like, all right, well, here's the deal. These guys are on suicide watch next to me trying to bang out all these calls. <laughs> we got to re-engineer this thing. And there wasn't a lot of, you know, MailChimp and constant contact and stuff like that happening no. at the time. And so I get my templates out, bang through them. But then you eventually, to your point, you find that one big fish. Um, and for us, we were selling to lawyers a lot. And I was sitting at a baseball game. And here in Utah, there's a thing called the WCF. It's a workers' compensation fund. I'm just staring at this ad. I'm like, you know, those dudes probably need medical records. And then one call, boom, blew up my entire year. I was taking an hour and a half lunches. Life was great. Everyone still liked me. It was fantastic. So <laughs> just trying, always trying to cheat the system for better or worse, unfortunately. Well, but I think there's, I wouldn't call it cheating the system, right? I mean, you were trying to find something. What I found is that people that were, and I managed people like you as well as people like myself is, is, yeah, I encourage people. If they thought there was a better way for them to hit their number than the process I had laid out, more power to them. I mean, we'd give them enough rope to, to hang themselves virtually, right? I mean, if, 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 if they could have the innovation and the, the ingenuity to go out and say, look, yeah, you've been doing this, you've had some success, but I think there's a better way that fits the way I sell. I, had, I can't begin to count the number of salespeople that you know, blaze their own path, that work for me to success, and it wasn't necessarily the prescribed path. And yeah, I mean, to my, you know, to your point, I mean, you're we're always kind of looking for that. Um, like that's one of the big, I think, kind of uh, tough things about being in sales leadership is oftentimes you're like one less, like one piano lesson in front of the student in some cases because you're mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I was selling like this, but uh, <laughs> what do you fellas think? Uh, how are you doing? <laughs> so uh, you know, you hopefully hire talent that does break the mold and teaches you a couple things that you didn't know do that. So those are all the things we look for. So, uh, yeah, setting aside sort of the pandemic environment we're in right now when we're recording this, because, you know, 
people hopefully will listen to this episode for months and years to come is, is I think they're going to cherish it, Andy. I think this particular episode they're going to well, cherish for many moons to come. I think so. Because first of all, just the uniqueness of your first name, they're going to be guessing. I have to listen to this episode <laughs> to understand how he produces, pronounces his name, but, and it's Jesse, by the way. And, um, but setting aside that is, is, so what's, what is the biggest challenge for salespeople today? I mean, set, again, setting aside the pandemic, if we just assume, you know, that wasn't existing. But it sort of feeds into this whole thing. Is but what what is the big challenge? I mean, I I I, I sort of one of my big fears is we don't spend enough time focusing on performance, right? We talk about activities, but we don't talk enough about performance. How do people get better at what they do? Well, and then you bring up an interesting point because I mean, here's the thing: you have lots of sales tools out there um, that basically can work as machine guns. And one of the biggest challenges, I would say, is self-discipline in the sense that, you know, you have this overwhelming. Some people are selling things where maybe you really do only have 50 people. I know guys in the edutech space who there's only so many universities and there's sure. not going to be a whole lot of more. Right. So it's right. very niche that you focus. Other of us, we can sell to millions of people. Um, the products can apply. And so you're almost like a kid in the candy store where you have so many opportunities and so many people you can sell to that the lack of focus and self-discipline can really be challenging. Like biting off and saying like, okay, in one month, there's these 200 leads and I'm going to truly work these leads instead of this kind of plow through a million people approach where it's this kind of, I mean, we were talking about the high school crushes and things earlier, like walking through a bar, you know, asking women to marry you. I mean, maybe, maybe some a couple of people yeah, say yes, was, yeah. d- depending on the bar and the hour. Um, but the, you know, really just having the self-discipline to say like, okay, these are the people I'm going to actually really work. And I'm going to try to really conquer some land here. That land can be by bigness, business segment or geographical or whatever have you. But that temptation to try to gain so many prospects so fast that it's, you know, from an activity standpoint, you're not really climbing a mountain. You're just on a treadmill to throw it out there. Does that make sense? Well, it does. I mean, I, and I use the phrase a little bit differently is, is, and I wonder if you're seeing this in, in maybe not so in your company because you're running sales, but, but in other peer companies is that, yeah, there's so much emphasis on just sort of this volume that, to your point about walking through a bar and, and propositioning or proposing, excuse me, to every woman that you want by, is you're just playing the odds. And it seems yeah. like for so many companies now, sales is just a matter of playing odds, playing the odds, you know, a game of chance. And for me, it seems like it sort of defeats the purpose. I mean, you do you really have the ability if you want to take the initiative to say, look, I, I don't have to play the odds. I can improve the odds in my favor if I invest in my skill development and and so on or if the company helps me along that regard but it doesn't seem to be a focus for too many companies well and i think the challenge there is that um you know in these broader facing companies where activity is so focused on um and and there's a lot of smarter people than myself that could talk about client profiles and building client profiles and those type of things but I think that the way we combat that is finding out what areas of business where we can bring the most value. 
who where who are out there that have the biggest pain point that we can solve and that's how you kind of up the quality game versus the activity game instead of you know it essentially you can't be a plumber knocking door to door asking if anybody's pipes are leaking i mean it's a, well you could it's a tough yeah you certainly it's like walking can to the bar. you might get one or two to say <laughs> well so let's look at, at your company you you sell a product as as i understand that that's a little more geared to smb market right yeah so i mean so we have um on course which is a sales engagement platform and what so this defi- is, define that because there's a lot of definitions for sales engagement yeah and we try to make ours as pixie dust nice as all the rest of them i mean so the really i mean you do have crms and the reason we call it something different is because we have all that generalized crm functionality when it comes to client history and information opportunity pipe you know management task management pipeline all that kind of stuff um, but we also hook up the actual communication um, methods to it and so the tool does you can email directly to the tool you can call it has a dialer it's got um, kind of that mailchimp constant contact stuff built into it as well as the linkedin automation piece um, that's that's built into it as well and so we have um, well, explain, explain the LinkedIn automation aspect of it. Yeah, so inside, and people call them different things. We call them sequences that can be cadences, campaigns, mm-hmm. et cetera, whatever have you. Um, but we actually have a Chrome plugin that attaches to our platform that allows you to go in because the one thing, and to give you the history um, very, very quickly about our company in general, is that we are a software development services company meaning that we help uh, companies with their DevOps. We help companies when they need to outsource integrations, things like that. And so we had this outreach we had to do. And quite frankly, we just had a lot of bills um, that were stacking up on the sales tool front. Like we were, we were swimming in a sea of SaaS, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Build like, your own. I, well, I thought, I mean, that was the thing, right? Like I thought we were paying 20 grand a year in tools... And by the time people kept adding users and Susie and Debbie are flying high and now everyone's got calories, everyone's got mailages. And I'm like, dude, we're like a $60,000 spent. Like, whoa, this is getting crazy. And so we really pieced this thing together. And we originally were just using it in-house as an internal tool. Um, and then our clients were interested in what we were using. We shared them for a while. And then lo and behold, someone actually spent money on it, which was cool. Um, cause money always helps. <laughs> and so a yeah, couple yeah. people bought it and I was like, well, you know, what the heck, let's give this thing a shot. So, uh, that's largely where we came from. And so what we like to focus on talking about this pain point and the value are large corporations. They really do love the sales force with yeah. the sales loft or outreach.io. And then they have the, like, they love these large specialized companies um, like that, where the people that I want to help are the guys that are doing between, you know, maybe five to 50 million in sales really need all that juice. But like me, they kind of felt the pain of that's a lot of logins, a lot of tools and a lot of to manage. Right. And so that's really where we hug her down is those small business guys. Yeah. The non-Salesforce ecosystem, if you will. Yeah. The, the other 80% of the market, they have a stronghold of that 19 that uh, a guy like me is not chipping away at anytime soon. Well, it's sort of, I find it interesting because in the CRM space, especially for small businesses, is, is you know clearly someone's doing the like you guys doing the calculation that that 
there's a ton of opportunity here because Salesforce notwithstanding, there's been a huge influx over the last five years of small business CRM systems. Oh, I mean, no doubt. Like we actually, we run into the wildest competitors. I mean, there's a company out there who they have a CRM system specifically for elevator repairmen. I mean, it was not a niche I thought of, but when you actually think about it and think about all the elevators and all the hotels, Makes the world, sense. It's like, I'm like, hey, dang it, should have thought of it first. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, well, certainly you can say there's there's validity in trying to niche down as, as far as you can. So yeah. do you have specific niches that you guys are after? What we did is we made the tool as configurable as possible. And so... It, the real thing is, is that your business was selling effectively far before a software came in to join the club, so well, to speak. Potentially it was. Yeah. And so the real thing is like, how do we bolt on and amplify your existing sales process and not try to convert you into the structure of how we could sell? And so letting the tool really configure and niche down to um, what's important about your clients, the proper sales cycle, we can do multiple pipelines. So if you have lots of products that are sold in different ways, mm -hmm. um, you know, we can facilitate all that kind of stuff. And so that's a lot of what, um, a lot of what the tool strives to do is we kind of handle that niche problem through configuration. All right. So let me sort of diverge here from sure. a, is has automation helped salespeople? Well, a guy like me, I have to absolutely say yes. Um, not only because my paycheck counts on me saying yes to that question, but also um, that it has drummed up leads. And I think the more uh, the answer that I would say is that it's responsibility. What automation is going to do is it's not going to take away from the personal touch of sales. There is something, but it seems it seems to be heading. Down. I mean, some companies implement it that way, right? We're just you we talked about before. We're just it's mass. It's just quantity. That's all we're really concerned about. Yeah. Blast through and you're eventually find the person that you're looking for. Yeah. Um, and, and it is a shame because it gives some of the tool. I mean, it gives the generalized practice a bad name, but you can do it in such a way where you're only automating the things that make sense to automate. And I'll give you an example, right? So sure. if you and I are on a phone call, I'm walking away and even this podcast, I'm going to walk off. I'm going to send you a thank you note. Okay. And if we had something else we were discovering, we have a meeting. So I'm going to go and I'm going to write out that thank you note. And then why it's fresh in my head, I want to think about the next three things that I was saying to you. So I'm like, okay, I'm sending it to him on Wednesday. I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow up with this note on Friday. And then the second Tuesday, I'm going to send this just in case he never responds. And I can jam out that thing. And that's something where automation really helps because now I've kind of checked the Andy Paul box in my head. It's like, all right, that guy's covered. and tools all over too and there's all kinds of sale, fail safes around that for when you respond and things like that but as an example something that you can automate delay and put it together again some of the basic you know thank you for connecting mm -hmm. and you can you can have i mean sure and i know that you've you've talked about linkedin selling on previous guests and stuff like that and so I know there is a lot to that and that people are getting basically propositioned every single day through LinkedIn, um, especially in this current climate. But there is a way to do that where we all know the difference between we see somebody and some of it does feel a little fake. I don't think they really are curious about my business <laughs> to a degree, <laughs> but you do have well, like, are oh, you really, you're sitting down like, gee, I wonder how Jesse and Encore is doing. I wonder if he's okay. Um, so I don't think that's really happening, but I do think there are 
you know, organic, when, especially when you come and as you work the degrees inside, like your first degree, second degree, mm-hmm. third degree people, I think there are organic ways to create that conversation. And what we're big on is literally all we do is just drill to find out if there's a pain. If there's a pain point that we can, we think we can solve, we're going to go hard on the pain and see if we can't convince that person that we're the right person to solve it for them. If it's not, we just lose fast and move on. And you do have to do a fair amount of automation to at least get to that first level. And so automating kind of that generic message of first two steps will then allow you to focus and kind of personalize the second half. Does that part make sense? Well, yeah. So give us an example of how you guys use that in your own business then. So we will go and just, let's say, and by the way, LinkedIn puts rules on this. So sure. you can only, I mean, it's, it's actually, we do, our relationship with LinkedIn is quasi-adversarial in the I think, sense I that think everybody they're not is thrilled this, yes. about automation. <laughs> they're not thrilled about automation. Um, but we, you know, I got a couple of really smart guys at Bangalore that can figure it out. And so you can only request, you know, 100 to 150 new people yeah. per day. You have to have 28 seconds in between those connections or you'll end up getting thrown in the penalty box. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can also have so many open invites, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, we'll go and through those rules, through the Chrome, we'll always be reaching out to people and just, we'll have a very simple generic message of, you know, because, you know, you know, some of the people in the same network would like to add you to the network, blah, blah. Then we send a little thanks for connecting. And then large times people are generally more polite on LinkedIn, even on the phone, I find. And so people will engage and then we're doing more responding and questioning than we are actually um, kind of wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. So once, once they've accepted the connection, then they get the first substantive outreach. Exactly. Well, you say thank you. You wait a couple of days. And the whole point that I try to tell my team, it's like, you know, reining in a bunch of pit bulls is, you know, just don't throw up the value prop at them. Like, mm-hmm. the, I mean, just the same way if you met them on the street and you're in an office and how you would approach it, there's a tactful way to go about this. Right. And you, like, patience is a virtue. And don't go rushing it because you can very much be offensive in certain situations when you do rush it sure. because they're going to, their clients are going to feel that. Yeah. And so automating the first half and then really drilling and spending your time where it's the proper way to burn calories, right? And like the message being there's stuff that we need our minds for and we should burn our calories doing that. And mm-hmm. there's stuff that's kind of dumbed down, just little automated notes and follow-ups and things like that that we don't really need to burn calories on. So we're really just saying, hey, don't forget about me. Mm-hmm. I'm still over here. Um, and a largely a lot of businesses that are thinking about automation, they, everyone tends to, and you know, we're doing it in this conversation, but they really tend to focus on the outbound sales portion and they forget about how good automation can be for retention and right. communicating to your existing customer base and make sure you're harvesting and staying close to the guys that are, you know, keeping the lights on. And just as many of these automated practices, and they're actually quite, they're much better received and effective with that retention piece and using that to just is the new product that's coming out. Hey, how you doing? We have lots of financial advisors that use our tool that, um, you know, there's like a couple of millionaire guys that they pay their attention to They get like 120 clients. So they do want to send out SMS texts to those people Mm -hmm. and check in on them and happy birthday and all that good stuff. Sure. That's where I think you can be. I agree. I mean, I think that that's, 
the barriers are down at that point. You've already you've closed the deal, right? I mean, they're not they don't look at your communication and say, "Oh, he's trying to sell me something." Yeah, and so you can leverage that automation a little bit more there because yeah. you have the relationship. But my bigger point was uh, the behind the first question was that, and I know there's no good answer to this, but it, I like asking it anyway. Is that you know if we look at sort of industry research reports that CSO insights, you know, hey, sales performance. As measured, at least measured by quota attainment, it's been dropping year over year the last X number of years, right? And but that sort of coincides with the huge investments we've made as as industries and as profession in all these tools. So uh, for me, it's like okay, there's I don't think there's a correlation there at all. But the point is, what what do we still have to learn about how to use these tools in order to really improve the performance of the individual seller? I think that's. I think there's still a gap in terms of our understanding how to most effectively use them that that serve contributing to this this performance issue. And and I agree. One, I agree. It's a hard question. Two, um, I do think that there's a lot of different personality types in sales. And you know, when I think, uh, for example, you know, I kind of have that that bloodline, right? Where my dad was an entrepreneur sales guy. His dad worked for, you know, DuPont sales and marketing his entire life. And when I talk to my grandfather and father, they despise literally every single thing I'm doing (laughs) in the sense that for them, (laughs) um, it was really like everything was about the personal touch and everything was knowing your customer. And this is Bob. Bob's wife is Sue and they have three kids and that kid's into football, the girl's into dance and you know, like my grandfather could just go like seven layers deep into what he knew about his customers. And they also did business differently where their customers had a lot of loyalty. And so there was the end of the month, hey man, I just need a PO to get me over the edge here. And they would issue those POs. And it's different for a lot of different businesses. And I think as a culture, we've purchased more transactionally, which has kind of deteriorated that that's made people more competitive and driven us to the activity levels we feel it's necessary because we know that if i'm not constantly in front my competitor is and there isn't really a lot of brand loyalty and so you have kind of that wall up and so everyone is trying to read the tea leaves and find the perfect formula that's going to generate the most and and i agree with you it can be very challenging it does i mean in a perfect world we'd all like to be my grandfather and have 20 great customers and never have to worry about them and, you know, do all those things. But unfortunately in today's market, especially with the SaaS space, um, you know, it's, it's just challenging. The business can't survive at that activity level. And so you try to find ways that you can be effective. But there's always this balance, right? I mean, so if a company, a SaaS company, it says, look, we need to have X, X percentage of coverage of our pipeline every month. Let's say 5X. Yeah, pretty much what they're saying is we're only going to close one out of every five of our qualified opportunities. And so there becomes the serve, which for me, I think unless a company sort of in a unicorn status hit the, you know, hit the wave at the right moment in certain markets, I think those 20% win rates are unsustainable from a growth perspective. So I think we've got this this conundrum that, that and it's not just a SaaS issue, it's across, across the board, I think, is that uh yeah we don't we don't focus enough on how do we become more effective within the time frame because we have the ability to become quote unquote more efficient but we haven't learned how to marry that with effectiveness and i think this becomes the big big challenge for the sales profession in general going forward 
how do we do that? How do we, because I think that we've taken, the, my feeling is as, as a profession, whether it's a Fortune 500 company or whatever, you almost never hear somebody really focus really well on, yeah, our focus is increasing win rates and individual sales performance, as opposed to streamlining our process, find out how we can process more activity, increase our velocity through the pipeline. Well, you do have that, you know, so for some organization, they feel the biggest army wins. Um, and then there are companies like ours where we're a smaller shop. And so we have to have the team with the best players win. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're kind of highlighting a little bit um, in your question is because there is that army approach of process. And listen, we had 216 reps. If they're not all marching in unison, it's going to be sheer chaos. And so this, the, this scale of the whole thing becomes unmanageable without focusing in on that process. Um, to your point, though, it, it's interesting to think about that if you actually truly invested. I mean, we all agree that there's a sales cycle to selling everything and that there are steps within that sales cycle. And how can we perform the best at those different steps? I mean, obviously, top of the pipeline is the hardest, right? And then everything gets easier as you close down. Um, but how can we do better at those certain things? I think there's certainly an argument for what you're saying um, into investing more into the individual players um, and getting that. Because it would be if you have a guy that could do 20 wins or you got 20 guys that each get one win, um, it, the one guy seems easier to manage for my chair. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, we seem to be sort of focused on the other end. Uh, we, again, I'm using we generically as, as yeah. sales sales leaders and so on, but it's 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 this battle i think for the soul of of sales and yeah i was just having a conversation yesterday where when the people are looking at the the future of marketing and this whole idea of what they call context marketing i'm just learning about it uh, but it's you know we're seeing more and more interactions throughout the process whether it's you know using a service like uh, drift uh you know for chat or live person with their conversational commerce and so on is is yeah, you know, the humans are actually involved more to some degree um, as we go through this process, and so it's it's like yeah, you got that. People sort of forecasting that, and I do as well, is that the future of sales and marketing actually becomes more human, not less. And yet we've got this other sort of phenomenon, if you will, on the other hand, where we're trying to automate and script and blah 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 other parts of selling. And I would say, like, as we talk about the automating and script and marketing, that kind of thing, I think some of that is a result of buyers have changed. You know, there used to be a time where you actually needed your sales rep to understand everything that there was to know about a particular process or a product or how that product worked. And buyers are crazy smart. And so they're already coming to you with a lot of knowledge about your product already. Um, and so I think it, it gets counterintuitive in the sense that sales have had to adapt because buyers have adapted and we're getting, and I know you're going to hate this comment, but I think some of that process stuff is being going, <laughs> um, is becoming that because we just realized that like, all right, like the, and I know, I know, I know everyone's going to hate me for this, but the sales relationship is important and i think that is a retention game i think at the top of the funnel there is something to be said for automating and getting a lot of climbing through the weeds to find those people and they are way more educated 
than before. And so you can you need to home in those closing skills. You need to home in the value of that portion. But some of the stuff you normally lead with where you instantly gain that credibility and trust is getting harder because the buyers already have that information at their fingertips. Well, I mean, that, gosh, I could bring on guests on the show that, you know, would argue the counter argument, you know, fiercely about, and it's, yeah, it's I understand. It, there is a civil war that's, you know, of sorts and sales between, yeah, the buyer's pre-educated, da, 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 versus no, they're not. And we got to keep going proactive. And, and I, I think both sides are right. <laughs> and, mean, to be, and to be very clear, I'm not the guy to argue my side. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm a very, I'm a C student. I'm not the guy to do this. <laughs> well, no, I said both sides are right. I mean, you, you yeah. need to have proactive and you also need to be able to have you know, a marketing campaign that generates inbound leads that are highly qualified um, to the point where they, you know, up to the point where they have that first conversation. Then you find out if they're actually qualified, but, but you know, you need to have both. And you need to have a way, a more human way, I think, to to deal with people. But we'll save that for another conversation. So, <laughs> um, so well, it's been great talking to you. I've unfortunately running out of time here. So, how can people get in contact with you and learn more about OnCourse? Awesome. Well, yes, please uh, visit us at tryoncourse.com. Uh, you can sign up for a demo there um, right on the website. You can also check us out on LinkedIn, um, and you know. Again, our biggest, I would say, differentiator is we're much more for the small business guys, and we do have that in-house implementation team, so we can get you at a tool, move. It's only you don't have to use any third parties or dev shops or anything like that. Um, and then we very much have a white, white glove uh, implementation, and so we are going to have meetings. We're going to find out how the tools. We're going to set that up for you because, you know, in our experience, the industry's done a bad job at letting people just kind of go into tools themselves. And so we really like to get our clients selfishly understanding our insider product. So they get so sticky, they don't want to leave. <laughs> exactly. Well, that sounds like a good strategy. So, all right. Well, Jesse, it's a pleasure to meet you and talk with you and we'll look forward to doing it again. Awesome. Thanks so much, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank Jesse Schechinger for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you could also leave us a rating or review and let us know how we're doing, we'd really appreciate it. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. Thanks for your help. All right, thank you also for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.